Welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. Today we are going to be doing our best to talk about the Civil War. There's always so much. Whenever we take on a large topic, it's like, oh, I didn't realize this was for real. Thousands of different storylines over tons of years, and there's just so much information. But I'm excited to yeah, this, this is a big one, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things about it that are kind of daunting, and, and one is uh, how big the topic is, yep. and the other one, to, you know, to me is like from an American mythology sort of thing, this is mm-hmm. like way different than, say, the Revolutionary War. You know, this is the United States fighting the United States, mm-hmm. and it's hard to... I don't know. Like, it's easy with the, like, Revolutionary War to be like, oh, yes. U.S. I know which side I'm on. And it's a lot harder I feel like I know here. which side I'm on here, though. <laughs> I do for the most part, but there's a lot of stuff that I, like, come across, and I'm like, I don't I don't like that. Oh, you know? I'm interested to know what those things are. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it, so. So the Civil War, the exact years were 1861 to 1865. But of course, I always have to know what led up to it. So I take us back to 16 and 19. <laughs> so this is when the first African slaves were, were brought to Virginia. This is the first boat that brought them over. And the story is quite fascinating. So here we are, not even talking about the Civil War. First, first fact. So there's this ship that comes over and it has 20 to 30 enslaved people on board and it came from Angola which was called something else back then and it was a Portuguese colony so there was a ship that I mean they're having like a war there between the the kingdom of Ndongo and the Portuguese settlers right so or the the colonial Portuguese people so the colonial Portuguese gather up a bunch of these people they're fighting, put them on a ship to ship off to um, the Spanish colony of Veracruz for unknown reasons in my research. There were, it, I don't know if it was for a prison camp. I don't know if that it was for slavery. But these English privateer ships act in a way kind of like pirates. They take over these two ships that are coming from the Portuguese colony and just steal these people and put them on their own ship. Apparently that was Is that the big? thing to do. Like they did <laughs> stuff like that all the time, you know, especially, you know, Britain, Spain, Portugal when they were out, you know, exploring the world and doing you know, they're colonizing and they're trading pirate that everybody. Was a, that was a thing. Weird. But the most fascinating piece of information comes later in my opinion is they know all of this information about the ship coming because this man wrote a letter to the Virginia Company of London. And his name was John Rolfe, which is Pocahontas' husband. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, my mind is so blown. (laughs) You just forget that some Disney princesses are just real people. Um, But they, I looked into a little bit more about slavery And in 1565, Spanish people brought enslaved Africans when they came to visit the Americas. But I think 
they kind of took them away with them as well. So it wasn't so much like they had a trade. But in 1513, a man named Juan Garrido was the first documented black person to arrive when he accompanied Jean-Ponce de Lyon in search of the Fountain of Youth. So that's a little black history for the Americas. So just as a reminder to everybody, the American Revolution, the American gains its independence 1776, right? In 1787, they add the three-fifths clause to the Constitution. Article 1, Section 2, it declared that enslaved black people would count as three-fifths of a person in counting the population of a state. Um, and it was a compromise at the Constitutional Convention of 1787. So in 1787, there's also there's already starting a we like slavery, we don't like slavery divide in the country. And when you look at the different countries, states that have gotten rid of slavery, I have another trivia question for you. Who was the first state? to legally outlaw slavery, and when? The first U.S. state? Yes. Uh, oh, man. I'm kind of guessing Massachusetts, but... Massachusetts was one of the first, but not the first. And it's kind of a tricky... I gave you a trick question, as you'll know later, but I'll give you one more try. Um, see, the trick question thing <laughs> throws me off, but I'll say Rhode Island. It was Rhode Island, and the trick is that it wasn't a state. It was a colony. In 1652, they abolished slavery. They allowed indentured servitude with a limit of 10 years. So you could yeah. indentured servant people, but slavery was not allowed. The second state was a state. At the time, it was Pennsylvania in 1780. New I mean, Massachusetts, 1783. Connecticut, 1784, and this is a fascinating fact as well. In Connecticut, in 1784, they passed a gradual abolition stating that any child born into slavery after March 1st of 1784 could be freed at 25 years old. So they were kind of tapering yeah. it out. And I just thought, oh, that poor kid born in February. Like, that's <laughs> not fair. And then um, in New Hampshire, they didn't officially say slavery was not okay until 1857 but the last slave in the entire state died in 1840 because they just didn't like slavery so people didn't have slaves anyway i bring this up because by 1804 every single northern state except for that one that just didn't have many slaves and um had abolished slavery within their borders and the last state was new jersey in 1804 so in 1807, they ban imported slaves. Yes, and I remember reading that um, because they were bringing that up. One of the things that comes up later is Abraham Lincoln starts talking about, if you look at what kind of the founding fathers, you can see that they were trying to um, kind of stop slavery in the future. Like They knew they couldn't stop it then, but they tried to put things into effect say you know we'll, we'll stop it down the line which is fascinating because many of those founding fathers owned slaves. most of them mm -hmm. own slaves and i really do think that there's a lot of if you own slaves you can 
potentially see the moral conflict, but you also know how hard it's going to be for you if yes. you don't have them. So you can be like, oh, yeah, we need to stop this. I'm not going to. Not right now. Right. But After you know, somebody besides me in the future should stop this. <laughs> so you can see that some of them morally know that it's wrong, but are just unwilling to do it. Yeah. Beca- and and I imagine that it's because it's got to be so much harder without the slate. Because then you're the one with the shovel digging. This is where we hit. When we fast forward to why the South gets so mad, it's because the population of the South was 5.5 million, and then there was also 3.5 million black people. So the people who were working made up almost an additional half of the population of the South, and these people who had these plantations, these farms, were like, like, I can't do it, and pay these people i i can't which is fascinating when you think of how much it costs to house them and feed them you know maybe you could (laughs) because they'd be in charge of that themselves you can get into all sorts there's a lot of people from the south who thought we're doing good things for these slaves we're housing them feeding them whatever and a lot of that is just justification because they, you know, yes, you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, we know how terrible this is. Uh, we're doing it anyway because it's better for us. So they come up with these justifications for continuing it. Yeah. But you're right. Like there is. But how do you do that one? Not quite half, not quite half of the entire population, but definitely a big chunk. Oh, is your workforce is your workforce. And not only that, like. This is pre-industrial revolution in the South. So the industrial revolution is kind of going on, and it's actually going on pretty heavy in the North. The Mm -hmm. North is very industrialized. The South is agricultural, mostly cotton, and they don't have tractors, and they don't have, you know. No, but they did have the cotton gin. They they did come up with the cotton gin. in 1793. But that actually made but, them have more cotton. Right. That just made it so that their <laughs> cotton exports could go up and make mm-hmm. them want to produce more cotton, which is one of the things yep. when you get into the Civil War, you'll see that the southern economy, which was mostly growing cotton, turned out to be problematic for them because they're not growing food and they don't yep. have industry. So they had a, a trade going on with the rest of the world to give yes. cotton, and then that gets cut off and economically it problems. Was it almost problem. brought in Europe into the war. Because it did. Europe used that cotton. And so they were almost, when the supply chains were being cut off, Europe was like, hey, 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 but we'll talk more about that. Yeah. So we've hit 1820, and 1820 is the Missouri Compromise. And this is legislation that would allow a non-slave state into the Union with a slave state to keep the balance. Because there was discord there. The northern and the southern states already didn't like each other, already didn't agree on policy, already were having a very hard time. But it also set a slavery, an outlawed slavery law where anything above the 3630 line, you can't have slavery in the United States. Yeah. And they thought it was fair because they've got a lot of um, territories out west. And so it kind of splits it in half. And so anything above and anything below, but they run into a problem with that as well. 
Yeah, that one was to me where I kind of started things because at the time of that compromise, there were eleven slave states mm-hmm. and eleven non-slave states, and in the Senate, that put things pretty even. Yeah, North started to get higher populations around this Dramatically time. Dramatically higher populations. And yeah, like at the beginning of the Civil War, they were way higher. But they started, you know, a lot of that came, you know, the Irish potato famine, the immigration started pumping up their numbers because pretty much all mm-hmm. those people were going to Because they came cities. in by the millions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before this, the the Senate was at least controlled, so the Southerners didn't want that to change because they felt like they would lose power and that potentially the the North would prevent slavery from existing through right. you know, the Senate. Because so, at the time, in the 1830s, so this is 14 years after the Missouri Compromise, Canada abolished slavery. And so all these other countries are starting to get rid yeah. of slavery, which is making the South really nervous. And, and moving on to, you know... The, a lot of arguments say, you know, this wasn't just a slavery thing for the, you know, Civil War. Right. Some of it was, they, they say it's like a state's rights issue. And mm-hmm. if you move into the 1830s, there was what was called the nullification crisis. And it, in 1828, there was a tariff that the United States put in place that highly favored the North. So the North was very, you know, industrial and they were making stuff. And they were worried that countries were shipping in their cheaper, you know, stuff. So they put these higher tariffs. Well, the South didn't make anything and they exported, they were an exporter of, you know, cotton. And these other countries are retaliating against these tariffs by hurting the South's industry. And and that tariff that they put in 1828 was the highest in U.S. history. Like the Great Depression, they put in, you know, that was the second highest. This was ridiculously high, and it was meant to protect northern industry, and it hurt the South. The South called it the Tariff of Abominations. They got really upset about it, and in 1832, there was a change in the tariff that lowered it a little bit, but not enough to the South's liking. And in 1832, going into 33, South Carolina held a vote. And they basically said, uh, we don't have to support the duties and tariffs. So their kind of quote was, you know, whereas the Congress of the United States, by various acts purporting to be acts laying duties and imposts on foreign imports, but in reality intended for the protection of domestic manufacturers and the, the giving of bounties to classes and individuals engaged in particular, you know, employments at the expense, you know, and injury of, anyway... They go on to say... South Carolina was the most pissed. Oh, they throughout. were... But if you look at how far back this is, I mean, they're mad for decades. Yeah, but they, they say this is inconsistent with the longer continuance of South Carolina in the Union, and we will not, you know, we will be absolved from all further obligation to maintain or preserve the political connection with the people of, you know, the other states. And this is in 32. This is in 1832, mm-hmm. kind of going into 33. And they just say, yeah, we don't have to do this. And we'll potentially organize a separate government if you come try and make us do this. And the president at the time was Andrew Jackson. And he says, look, you, you, 
you guys can't just annul a law of the United States. So, you, you know, you have to follow this. And eventually there was kind of a, a compromise and they made the tariffs a little more, you know, even. But that was kind of the first call of we're leaving. You know, we're, we're not going to be part of the United States if you, you know, don't give us something. So that was kind of the first call for secession, and it kind of calmed down. But yeah, the 40s were fairly calm. The 40s were fairly calm, mm. but one of the things that I found was in the 40s, in the north, there was actually calls for secession. Oh, really? And it was mostly these abolitionist groups saying, look, we can't be a part of the, you know, a country that has slavery. And so I think there was only one thing kind of brought to the Senate. I think it was actually John Quincy Adams, who I think was from Massachusetts. But it was mostly just like there were some cities and some publications that held votes saying, you know, we should secede, but nothing, you know, too serious. So there were things kind of going on in the 1840s, and a lot of it was people in the North saying, you know, we should leave because we shouldn't be a part of a country that has slavery. It was a very deep moral issue. And I think when we look back on it now, we don't really think so. We just think, oh, the people up North didn't really want to. And the people down South, they did, you know, but I, it was quite a moral issue. And that's why you had the Missouri Compromise. Yeah, because it definitely was a moral issue. They were One trying the, to balance out all of these people's feelings. In in 1850, there was another big thing called the Compromise of 1850. Yes. So California wants to join the Union as a free state, mm-hmm. and that would throw off the balance of states again. Because at the time, I think, you know, it, it was also, again, even in the Senate, well, California wants to become a state, California you know, they just had the gold rush. It looks yep. like it's going to be a very wealthy state. They want the state in the United States. Yeah, because it's just a territory at this point. So there was a compromise of 1850, but one of the things that I thought was interesting is one of the, you know, there was a congressman named William Seward, and he gave what was called the higher law speech. Because the Southerners would always say, look, slavery's in the Constitution. This is written yep. in. This is legit. And he says, Look, there is a higher law than the Constitution. You know, we have a moral obligation to to do something about this. That and that was actually brought up multiple times. Is is people are saying, look, it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. The the moral and right thing is to not have slavery. Well, and they told California, you can come as long as you're a slave state, and they're like, nope. <laughs> yeah, we don't do we it. don't want to be. We don't want to be a slave state. So so the South doesn't want them in at all. Right, cuz they're below the line. Yeah. And they're not wanting to be a slave state. So this is causing a lot of agitation in the South. They're very frustrated. So as part of the compromise, they passed what's called the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which really in theory, I think there were already like you know, Fugitive Slave Acts, but this just made it much more punishing. It actually became the federal government's job to find and return the slaves. And, and anybody who was helping out let's was say, Yeah, let's explain to... what it is, because I do think that you and I know when we skip this. So what it is, is that this, all slaves must be returned to their owners, even if they end up in a free state. Yeah. So at this time, since 1800, you've got the Underground Railroad. 
that are bringing people up to the north. Well, then there are all these fugitive slave acts that happen where they have to be returned. So then they start pushing them up into Canada, especially after Canada quits having any kind of slavery. So they're starting to pump all these people all the way through the United States up into Canada. But now here with the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, they're saying, nope, the government's job is to stop and return these people, quote unquote, property back to these people. And, like, and anybody who participates in helping these slaves is now yes. potentially, I, I can't remember what the penalty was. I think it was like 10 years. Like oh, there wow. was a pretty stiff penalty for anybody who would help out these slaves. And that kind of enraged a lot of the people in the North. You know, they're, they're not very happy about the... There were a lot more participants of the Underground Railroad in the North than there were in the South. Yeah, and, and even just the, you know, the, the I think at, at that point, they're also feeling like, hey, you're crossing, you know, lines and telling us, you know, what mm -hmm. to do. You know, it gets into that, like, you don't have the right to tell us we can't, you know, do this. So, so that becomes the compromise that, again, that this was another one where there was a, a boat, you know, like, all right, well, we're leaving, you know, we're, we're going to leave. Uh, from who uh, there was what was called the Nashville Convention and I didn't look it up but uh -huh. it said nine slave states get together oh and they say, I hey, didn't even know this we're we're leaving unless you do something and so that's where this compromise uh. came in you know what can we do you know like what and there were some you know Henry Clay was considered the great compromiser he was involved in the Missouri Compromise and the compromise of you know 1850 and a bunch of other Things, and he's trying to prevent civil war or secession yeah. or, you know, whatever. The southern states are really angry that people are, yeah. are funneling their, their quote-unquote property out of from beneath them. And just a little uh, picture of what it looked like. There's 23 million people in 1850 in the United States. And that was up 30% from the 1840s. So they're having... A population boom. Yeah. And New York City was the highest populated city with 515,000 people. Because this is when, like, the Irish potato famine yeah. uh, and as well as, like, there was a, you know, rebellion in Germany. So the, you got Irish and German mm -hmm. immigrants coming over by the millions. And they've been adding states like popcorn popping. Yeah. And so there are 30 states at this point. And then there are territories. So they've just, they have the Gadsden Purchase, which is where they purchased the land that's now Arizona and New Mexico, but they, from Mexico. Um, but they also have the 1954 issue of the Kansas and Nebraska territories. Do you have something before that? No. So that was kind of the next big thing. Mm -hmm. Aside, the only thing that I kind of had before that was oh, in 1852, Uncle Tom's Cabin yes. was put out. And this was a, this was a very popular book in, in the, I think the 1800s, it was the second best-selling book in America have behind you read the it? Bible. I haven't. Read I have it. read it. And, uh -huh. and it uh, kind of enraged people in the North that are seeing this depiction of slavery, which I think was, was very brutal. And it the, was sad. It was, it was mm -hmm. sad and heavy. And, and what's weird is, is it caused so many, like such a conflict, like people in the South are saying, this is slander, like this isn't true, this isn't how it works. And other people are saying, 
no, it's it's that bad and potentially worse. Like Harriet Tubman is saying, oh, it doesn't even paint, you know, the whole picture. You know, I, I've seen and it. I, I imagine it. that there was a whole spectrum of That's what of I kind of think. And I imagine there were some terrible people. If you were to look at it and people. say, look, there are some very brutal slave, you know, owners, and then there are some that... Uh, were very respectful wobble- and kind. Yeah, and... Mm-hmm. And it's hard to, you know, say, oh, they're very well, respectful actually, and kind while they own slaves. But I think from their perspective, they feel like they're doing a good thing. Right. And I do think that there is that spectrum that goes from crazy, you know, yes. to... Because if you fast forward to the Dred Scott decision, yeah, do you know who funded his court cases? Uh-uh. It was the previous family who had owned him. Oh, really? Yes. So there were probably a lot of weird... I mean, just like with any people that you come across, you're going to have some interesting relationships that come throughout that. But now we're here at the Kansas-Nebraska Act because you've got these gigantic territories, the Kansas Territory and the Nebraska Territory, which is like where present-day Montana and Wyoming. Yeah, it goes from basically right around Oklahoma all the way up to Canada. Yeah. It's a it's very huge. large territory, and at the time, it's just called the Nebraska Territory. But they're, you know, they want to start making it into states, and yeah. some of it falls under that. You know. Oh yeah, they want to. They want. So this is actually where they overturn the Missouri Compromise. Yeah, because they decide because this is a big chunk of land. They decide that they're going to um, let the states. Vote and, is and whether let or me not give a little bit slavery. more of a political backstory to okay, some of this. Okay, do so. They're wanting to build the, the a railroad across the country, yep. and they're looking for a place to do that. And there's a fellow, Stephen Douglas. He's a, a very prominent. He he ends up running against I think Abraham Lincoln, you know, for president. But he's a very prominent mm-hmm. politician from Illinois. He wants the railroad to go through Chicago in the north. Right, which it ends up doing. And there's an <laughs> alternate route through Texas in the oh. south. And so he's kind of politically saying, if we don't do something and make these you know, territories, it's, the railroad's going to go through the south. And it's going to get power to the south. Mm-hmm. So and they want let's, all of California's stuff. Let's bring it here through the north, you know, and then it'll go through Chicago. Let's do that. But to make that happen, we kind of have to appease some of the southern voters. And that's where he gets into okay, let's let's we'll get rid of the Missouri Compromise. We'll give the South what it wants, and we'll say, ah. let's let the people vote. You know that should satisfy. You know people can't be mad at that. So, right. so that's instead, where it be, kind of becomes more political. Is he's trying to get a railroad built, right? And so he's willing to kind of go back on the Missouri Compromise. But instead, both sides start shoveling people into the area. Yeah, so the act basically <laughs> says, hey, we'll make it just, you know, Public, popular, popular vote. Popular vote. And mm-hmm. whoever, you know, will break it into percent. Yeah. the Kansas Territory and the Nebraska Territory. And the Nebraska is more northern, and basically nobody's expecting it to be a slave state. Right. But Kansas is, is up for grabs. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, to the it's west to the of Missouri. Yes. And Missouri is a slave state. And Missouri is above the line, but it was already a slave yeah. state. 
It was it was that part was the, of the compromise. part of the compromise mm-hmm. is to say, look, if you already had slavery, which St. Louis had existing slavery, they're mm-hmm. like, okay, you had it before, we'll we'll let you you know keep it. But these new territories that haven't had it don't. We're, but they brought in Maine at the same time yeah. to be balanced, and, and but yes, so then and and so here we've changed the law where where they're now saying, you know, you get a pick, um, and it did not go well there was a lot of they called it bloody kansas because there were a lot of fights that happened and a lot of battles <laughs> that occurred between just the people that lived there this was nothing organized in like a very organized way this not in a very just, organized but it was definitely there was some definite organization going on that's you because, had abolitionist groups yes. and then you had slaveholder groups and they're working together to say guys we got to pump you know, people into this, you know, state or territory so that it, you know, goes the way that we want. Yes. Because it was, I mean, again, it was a big deal. And, and this does, they do say states' rights, but even when you talk, like when you read about what the people in the South thought the war was for, it wasn't, most of the states were like, no, this is about slavery. Like we want to do slavery and we get to do slavery, which is, technically a state right but they're mean like they're so racist and mean yeah there's definitely a huge meanness to it and Uh even when they say you know states rights most of what they mean like you said is slavery Mm -hmm. is we want the right to have slaves we need this and i can understand like how that they're probably scared oh like it was probably overwhelming but they also had a ton of prejudice and didn't think of themselves as equals, which will come up later when we talk about. The, and, and the, the states' rights things, I think you know, it, it had most of the people in the South, most of the white people didn't actually own slaves, yeah. But they still were in the you know, quit don't you know you don't tell us what to do, mm-hmm. we tell us what to do, and a lot of that may or may not have been you know slavery related. I think a lot of the people who didn't own slaves weren't necessarily. They were more of the, the followers, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the South says, you know, we're with the, the South. And they also had like an incentive, you know, slavery was potentially good for them because it put them a class above a group of people. So these mm-hmm. poor white people still get to be considered kind of a higher class than well, slaves. You, so I think they had an incentive with slavery to keep slavery. You can't deny the culture either. It's not like they have a culture that has ever taught them. Yeah, that there is an equality of anything. So they they are like, uh, uh-uh, uh, that's not true, <laughs> which is unfortunate and, and, and it is so weird too. In today's the, standards, and it's not just the Southerners that do this. So it also because of this Kansas Nebraska Act, that's when Abraham Lincoln actually starts gaining popularity. Yeah. So in eighteen fifty four, he goes around making a bunch of speeches, and. Yeah, he's a, a very anti-slavery sort of person. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his argument: there can be no moral right in connection with one man's making a slave of another, and that's you know kind of his the main part of his speech. And he, you know, this is the uh, point that he makes about kind of the states' rights that I really like, as he says, the doctrine of self-government is right, absolutely and eternally right. But if the Negro is a man, it is not to that that extent a total destruction of self-government to say that he too shall not govern himself. He's saying, 
look, if you say people should be able to govern themselves and then have slaves, those people don't get to govern themselves. So if you consider them mm -hmm. people at all, you're not sticking to what you're saying. You're mm -hmm. not giving them the right to govern themselves. You're completely, you know, keeping them out of the vote. And it gives him a lot of popularity in the north. In the north. And I just have to add here, too, this is the year, 1854, that the Republican Party was founded. Yeah. It barely began, and it was in response to the Kansas-Nebraska Act because they didn't want slavery going into the Western territories. They were a very anti-slave party and actually began as an anti-slave party. And, and not that, you know, and a lot of what their argument, or at least what Lincoln was saying at the time, was we're not going to stop you. People who have, you know, slaves, we're not, we're not going to stop that. Yes. We're just saying nothing in the future. You know, and, like you and, don't get to push out yes. in any further territories, nothing further. It stops, you know, where the borders are now. And and that and was kind of what he ran. He was very repetitive in that. He would say that over and over and over. He said that in his inauguration mm -hmm. speech. And part of me thinks that he's not really being honest because in 1858 he came out and said, but this I have, isn't going to work. You know, yes. it's going one way or the other. We'll, we'll kind of get to that because I want to go back to, that's when he made a particular speech where he says, I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Interesting. And that, that was in, he was actually running for Senate against Stephen yes. Douglas mm -hmm. in 1858. Because I remember him saying this. Speech. It just didn't occur to me in the timeline where he says this. And but let's get back to Kansas because yeah, the this is... Potawatomi the, Massacre. This is where the Civil War... <laughs> it doesn't start. Like we said, it starts in 1861. It doesn't become official, but this is definitely... But there, 55 the people died over the course of like four years. There was all sorts of you know, like voting fraud and stuff like that going on. People from, you know, pro-slavery, people from Missouri would come in and um, kind of abuse the rules, and, and they would just win all the votes because they're bringing all these Missouri yeah. people to cross the territory lines. And this is where John Brown yes. shows up first. Oh, John Brown. He is crazy. John Brown is a little crazy. It just makes me think. So when I think of, like, a crazy lunatic white man, I usually don't think of the ones that are, like, anti-slavery. Yeah. <laughs> so his story is so fascinating because he just likes to kill pro-slavery people. So, so, so in, interesting. It, the first one that happens is in, you know, in 1856, a bunch of Missouri people enter uh, Lawrence, Kansas. They set fire to a bunch of buildings, destroy their, you know, printing press, and... In response to that, John Brown goes to um, their camp. A, a, a camp. He mm -hmm. kills five pro-slavery people. These people didn't they, own uh, slaves. Yeah. Well, I don't even know that they were associated with the first part. Yeah, I don't either. That was the that was <laughs> because, what was printed. But yeah. basically, he just goes and and kills, you know, five people, and it starts kind of you know its own little war mm -hmm. so now there's all that's sorts the of violence that's there. going on mm -hmm. for you know for four years 
where where people are fighting over how Kansas is going to vote. Mm-hmm. And this is in 1856. In 1857, we hit the Dred Scott decision. So before that, I want to bring up one thing oh, that I found do. that I'm was sorry. just crazy to me. And this happened in Congress. There was a senator from Massachusetts oh, yes. named Charles Sumner. <laughs> yeah, that and is Charles well. Sumner calls out people over Kansas and slavery. And he doesn't South do Carolina. it in a nice way. No. Like he is kind of, he's extremely condescending and saying how terrible the people in the South are. And, and then insults. this is when Brooks, Preston Brooks, proves him wrong. Yeah. He, <laughs> he insults a South Carolina uh, senator. senator. And a cousin to that senator, who was also a senator from South Carolina, got oh, very upset about the insult. I did not realize they were different people. I thought they were the same. Nope, they were there were two different people. One of them was insulted and one of them was the cousin of the one who was Whoa. insulted. The cousin of the one who was insulted, the one who was insulted wasn't there at the time. The cousin shows up and said, Hey, you insulted my kin and he takes his Beat cane with and a metal topped cane. Yeah, beats him with this cane and no to the does point do. where Sumner is absent for three years. He doesn't show up because he's so injured. He cannot show up to do his job. He gets voted in anyway out of a show of, uh, I don't know what word I'm trying to come up with, but they're saying, look, we support this guy. You know, what he said, even though he can't even be there to do his job, we're voting for him. Wow. But in the, um, the guy who attacked him, Preston Brooks, he got fined essentially what would be $10,000 today didn't serve any jail time, and in the South, they loved him. People were sending him canes with, you know, hit him again printed on it. Well, that's one of the the reasons why canes were popular in this time frame is because it was almost like a status symbol because of his caning that man. And and another thing that I found... (laughs) But he also died in, like, two years after. He got, like, sick and and Mm -hmm. died... But several times I found instances where guns were pulled in Congress. This was one of them. Somebody came in to try and intervene, and one of Brooks's friends pulled out a gun and just said, you know, you don't. Oh, no. This is between these two. You know, you stay out of it. But that was not the first instance. There were several instances of guns being pulled. Oh, they all started carrying their weapons very, very showily. After this incident, and probably a little bit before when you say that, because it probably did not feel safe. And definitely after this incident, it probably did not feel safe. Yeah, like I don't know how it really could. Mm -hmm. But yeah, moving on, I just thought that was extremely interesting to see that that shows up in Congress, that you have that level of violence already kind of going on. So then you hit the... 1857, and that's when you get the Dred Scott decision. And this is a slave who, um, oh, I'm sorry. This was a, the outcome was that a slave does not cease to be a slave just because the family moves to a free state. Yeah, and they also specifically kind of call out and say, this is property, and that kind of bolsters the South to say, look, the Supreme Court said that this is property, you know, Dred Scott is property and he needs to be returned. And so the South kind of sees it as a win for right. 
So he was this man who was sold to another man. So his original family, like I told you, helped fund this set of court cases. But he was sold to a man who moved to Illinois, which was a non-slave state. His previous family paid for him to sue for his freedom. So I wonder if they thought he was just going to be. And then I'm like, you can't sell somebody to somebody and be like, and now he's free. Like, you're, will- you're, you're very capable of opening the doors and freeing him yourself. But, <laughs> but that's where I kind of think a lot of the mentality is, yeah, but that hurts me economically. That hurts you me know, economically. People, people have a hard time As opposed time with to that guy whom I don't care yeah, if it hurts. <laughs> exactly. I already got paid, so now uh, let him free. But this was a big deal because the Supreme Court ultimately decided that Scott was not entitled to U.S. citizenship because the Supreme Court believed that the Founding Fathers never intended black people to be free but viewed them as property. So you've taken a contentious situation Yeah, pour a little gasoline on it. And that is not a good combination with another happening that was occurring at the time, which was the Panic of 1857. So this is the economic, another economic reason why everyone's frustrated, everyone's mad already, and now there's a desperation because you'd hit the, you know, the gold rush that was in the early 50s and it flooded money into the United States and the country was on the gold standard, which before it was on the bimetallic standard, which means gold and silver. But now it's on the gold standard as after 1830. And so they have all this gold from California on a ship called the Central America. And it sinks. So because... They're on the gold standard. That money is gone. So people have already, you know, they have slowing in railroad construction, um, investments. Like there was a ton and ton and ton of money and then it was flooded with people and then it didn't, you know, spread out the way they thought it was going to spread out. But people invested and lost their investments and couldn't pay back their debts. And the construction of the railroad wasn't working and people just ran on the banks. But the banks only used gold and silver. They didn't use paper money. And so they're giving people their gold and silver. And just like the bank runs that happened in 23, they don't have that shipment. So they've, they haven't made up for the fact that they lost that shipment. And so they empty out all these banks. And so um, there was a, a New York branch of the Ohio Life Insurance and Trust Company that failed on August 24th. And that began what used to be defined as a depression that lasted three years. They've changed the de- definition now so that we've only had one in America. But if they went by the original, we've had like three or four. But uh, that's why it was called the Great Depression is because it was the bigger of all of the depressions. So that's just a fun little sneaky way they've made the history better. <laughs> But the North had the industrial economy and the South was agricultural. And it was generally assumed that the economics of slavery played a large role in the South wanting to keep the slavery legal. And some of these plantations had hundreds of slaves on them. Just, yeah, the majority of yeah. slave owners, I think, were had smaller groups, but the, there was just that richer class yep. that... 
and, and they it kind of pulls into a later. The ones who had 20 or more were considered the richer class of people. Oh, wow. And that was the way the South was made up is it was, you know, the kind of these richer people kind of ran everything. Like they, yeah. they decided how everything was going to be. And so the, even, you know, the poor people, even the poor, you know, whites who didn't have slaves kind of just took, you know, well, these are the people who decide how everything mm-hmm. works, and everything kind of came from these rich, white, you know, plantation owners. They were the ones who decided, and it, they were almost looked similar to like royalty. Yeah, it, people, southern people royalty. People adored them like them royalty, that. and they had those gigantic parties with their big old dresses. And... Yeah, it, and, and it's <laughs> such an odd thing to kind of think of, but humidity. that was part of the. The yeah. way that Southern culture was, and it it was it was coming to a point where by now most of the other first world countries have abolished slavery. They know it's on the chopping block, block and now we've got so many um, economic issues and so many uh, fighting over here, and and it was a lot. But if you remember, good old John Brown. From bloody Kansas. Yeah, John Brown moved out of Kansas. He, he's really yeah. just a, a pro-abolitionist who wants to do whatever. Like, he's probably he's a go psychopath that was like, hey, look how many people I can kill if I'm, if I'm on this side. So <laughs> in 1859, he goes and rents this farmhouse near Harper's Ferry mm-hmm. in Virginia, and he recruits people. He's got... He's training a small army of 21 people at this little farmhouse, and they decide to make a raid on Harper's Ferry. Right, because he's in the South now. Like yeah, this is the South. This yes. is Virginia. Mm-hmm. And and what he wanted to do, so he's raiding this armory so he can get all of these weapons so he can arm the slaves. Yep. Uh-huh. So his intent is to go in there, get the weapons, get the slaves, and lead a revolution. Mm-hmm. And the the slaves don't really join him. No. So he goes in, he starts fighting, and essentially the militia comes in and just takes him out. Did you so they see kill who was in charge of this? Uh-uh. Who brought down this Was raid? it Robert E. Lee? It was. I believe. It was he, yeah, e. I actually Lee. have that led by Robert E. Lee. He was a Marine colonel at the time. For the United States. Yeah, so he and was... And he just went in and killed most of those people, arrested Brown, and hung him. Yeah, he got hung, and his dying words, you know, I'm quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. And then he says, you know, like I thought that we could potentially do it with minimal bloodshed, but I think I was wrong. So. Um... He, he and oh how his minimal bloodshed he thinks that he's doing the minimal bloodshed by going in and all this really does is it riles up the south say they're coming for us you know mm-hmm. like they're literally coming to you know lead these revolutions and kill us yes but don't forget as this is happening there is this tall skinny man who is running for president abraham lincoln and he is not liked by the South. Not liked at Mm-mm. all. But the North loves, loves him. him. The North loves the guy. And the South hates him because he, all the stuff he says about slavery. Mm-hmm. Like it's 
to me, from the best I could tell, it's 100% about slavery. Is they yes. don't like him because he is saying, you know, we should not allow slavery. Slavery is morally wrong. Mm-hmm. And he's saying these sort of things, and it makes the South so mad. that. Well, in a way, and this is absolutely horrible, and what differentiates this is because of the, that they are people. But if you think about the way that vegans fight against people that consume meat, this is a horrible analogy I see as it's coming out my mouth. But the people that consume meat are like, no, it's not a big deal. Leave us alone. Um, you're just crazy over there. And the other people are like, no, you're crazy over there. And you've hit this moral issue. Now, of course, not necessarily a comparable situation. No, the one that I think is more these comparable, are people. I wouldn't even want to get into either, but it would be abortion. Um, so you've got people saying abortion is killing people. Well, like the you fact- are literally <laughs> killing people. And other people are like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And so it does hit this weird thing where neither side can really be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I see where you're coming from. They're just like, you don't get it. You're out of touch. You're weird. And they're just like, there's an impasse. Like, they're just refusing to be on each other's side yeah, they, about they this. Yeah, they cannot accept the other point of view. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it. So you got the abolitionists who are just morally cannot accept that slavery is acceptable and then you got the people in the south saying of course you know Mm -hmm. it's acceptable and how dare you tell us we can't do it and so abraham lincoln gets elected in 1860 yes he but dominates the north oh oh yes which is the most populous you know section so the south ends up they have like you know there's Four people who ran. So apparently, this was quite common back in the day. Is it, you didn't just have the two parties and the two people running; you had multiple oh, nice. people running all the I time. I like that. Let's bring that back. I like it too. <laughs> and the weirdest thing, and this is just an aside: in eighteen twenty-four, four people ran for president, all from the same political party. Oh. And I thought, you know, this is so different than 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 now. Huh. But That's anyway, probably why they got their packs is because they wanted to make sure that they're candidates had backing maybe yeah so abraham lincoln wins yes and on november 3rd of 1860 this newspaper called the charleston mercury writes the issue before the country is extinction of slavery the southern states are now in the crisis of their fate and if we read aright the signs of the times nothing is needed for our deliverance but that the ball of revolution be set in motion and six weeks later, they begin the Confederacy. Yeah, so they essentially secede the, the month after. Because he won. Because he won. Because Lincoln won as the president, and they knew already that they're hanging on by a thread, they decide, and, starting and it's with South Carolina. South Carolina. So South Carolina's the first state, and then like a month after South Carolina, a number of other states go. Yeah, but so not December all the states. December 20th, South Carolina secedes from the Union. And that date is not clear. Because if you look up different websites, they will tell you different dates. And when I think some of it is this secession. is when it they was brought said to so, vote. And, and this, this is, is when it was voted on. And, yeah. It's true. But I, I saw the December 20th in there. And then after South Carolina... Right, a handful, because that six other first come. meeting was just a convention that they had, the Confederacy Convention. They officially formed and voted 
on the Confederacy on February 8th, 1861. And this is when they have um, seven slave states, South Carolina, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Texas. And they all just agree. And you know what's so embarrassing? As I never thought of Texas as a slave state. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> Oh, well, that's right, of course. They they were a slave <laughs> state, but I think they're also very heavy in the nobody tells us what to do yes, state. Yes, yes, that's it's, very true. I think that more than anything, that's why Texas was involved. Well, Texas had three large battles throughout the Civil War, and they had like 83 total, and they have them listed as skirmishes or actual battles or things like that. So they had 83 total of everything there which i was it's just like the quiet side of the civil war in that we don't really hear about it very yeah often. you don't really hear about it much mm-hmm. one of the other things they led a um, a group into new mexico to start the fight over there and oh, they went after a fort territory <laughs> they got their butt kicked in new mexico but in texas the texans dominated which is fascinating because when you go through this information and you see who was fighting in texas at the beginning, it's all the United States military branches. And then towards the middle and after, it's like volunteers from states. So you have like an infantry of volunteers from Illinois and an infantry of volunteers from New Hampshire. And they all just come down to Texas to fight specifically in Texas. And I just think it's just fascinating. It, I'm sure there's more into those details than I can even fathom. But with, with everything we're talking about, that is true. Yes. So you have February 1861, the, those seven states you talked about form their own government, and then they start going after forts that are in their area. Yes. And they but start. But wait, Lincoln's not even in office yet. Lincoln's not in office yet. <laughs> He's only been elected. He finally gets put in on March 4th of 1861. And in his inauguration speech, he says he has no plans to end slavery where it exists but he will also not accept secession, which is what they have done. They have formed a government in the time he is elected to when he is put in office. And he's like, I'm not going to accept that, and I hope it doesn't come down to warfare. And at this time, the Union has 18.5 million people, and the Confederacy has the 5.5 plus the 3.5 enslaved million people. And And, and so the southern states actually... They, they say they want to do this peacefully. Yes. They, they go to start taking these forts, saying, you know, you're on our territory, yeah. you're our fort now. They go to one particular fort in South Carolina, right. fort. and that fort doesn't surrender. So most of the other forts surrender. Sumter. And part of me imagines that a lot of the people manning some of these forts are southern are folks. local people. And they're like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, and they're like, yeah, of course we're with you. But this fort in South Carolina called Fort Sumter will not surrender. But at this time, it is President Buchanan. It is not President Lincoln at this point when they start to ask. Yeah. And he's like, nope. I'm not surrendering <laughs> I'm not until surrendering. I run out of supplies. And the North uh, sends, tries to send supplies, and the, the South blocks the West. So the yep. South blocks the supplies from coming in. So in April, and at this time. Oh, but first. They, they've got their, so we've just had Abraham Lincoln take office March 4th. 
Then they have their own president and vice president put in in the South. So you have President Davis and Vice President Alexander Stevens. And this is when Alexander gives his cornerstone speech that is an absolutely racist rant about how white people are superior to black people, about how their secession um, has been accomplished without a single drop of blood, and how they created a government system that's more like the United Kingdom, and it has a cabinet, and the cabinet members get to be on the House and on the floor, and they're only allowed one term, one six-year term as the president of the Confederacy. And they point out that the South has tons of taxable property and not much debt. So toodly doodly do Union, they're going to be taking over. And then April 12th happens. Yeah, so on April 12th, because Fort Sumter won't surrender, the South actually opens fire. Now, Fort Sumter is on an island in the middle of this bay. It's like mm-hmm. on two and a half acres. And they all they do is they just start firing cannons at it. It essentially is just the fort on it's the island. It's just a fort. Just and it's there to protect. There's a big bay around there, and it's by Charleston, South Carolina, which is one of, the, I think, the biggest city in the South, the yes, most industrious city. And South because Carolina a lot starts of their firing trading. on this fort, and after two days, the guy surrenders, you know, the general over the yep, fort. They don't have supplies because they took over that, that um, steamship called the Star of the West before, so they don't have any supplies. Yeah, they got no supplies. They They've got run no out of everything. help coming in that they mm-hmm. can tell, so they surrender. There's there's no casualties, but this is generally considered the start the of the Civil battle, War. And the South won it. And the South won mm-hmm. it. They took the fort. They, they from what they I can were tell, done. they were actually very <laughs> kind to the people who surrendered. Oh, good. They, they said, you know, that the people who surrendered grabbed their guns, marched out, and the people of the South lined up and saluted them as they Went walked away. away. And went into the ocean, into the water. Yeah, I think they boated ship, them all over. I'm assuming, off. but <laughs> but yeah, they they it was just kind of a all right, get out of here. Okay, we took it, and and they, and they thought the want, war was over. They, they yeah, they think like, that there's it. not going to be any response mm-hmm. to this. Well, a couple days later, Abraham Lincoln says, "All right, I want seventy five thousand troops to go down and put." you know, put this rebellion in the South down. And that triggers another response. Mm-hmm. So then Virginia says, yeah, we're not doing that. We're not going to go fight against our, you know, brothers here. So Virginia secedes. And with Virginia comes a few others that hadn't seceded. So Virginia secedes. And then Arkansas, Tennessee, North Carolina all secede. And they're still... Uh, four slave states who hadn't seceded and who don't secede. They're called the border states. Yep. It, it's Maryland, uh, Kentucky, Delaware, and oh, I forgot the fourth. I'll have to find that in my in my notes. But they stay in the Union even though they are slave states. And some of it is very contentious. So then we'll move to the first casualty of the Civil War. I'm going to go back and give you two pieces of fascinating information back after Abraham Lincoln was elected. Okay. So he was elected on the 6th, and on the 10th, South Carolina Senator James Chestnut resigns. And on the 11th, South Carolina Senator James Hammond resigns. 
And on November 18th, the Georgia legislature appropriates a million dollars to arm the state. Yeah, I saw that They're like getting ready. (laughs) And a lot of that, I think, is just kind of a... They already know that secession's on the table, and it just hasn't happened officially yet. And they seized a lot of forts in that January month. Yeah, forts and Mm -hmm. arsenals and Mm. probably most anything in the South that was a fort or an arsenal was probably seized. And Fort Sumter was the one that kind of held out. Yes, the only one that had for real fighting. And in that, like they said, there was no casualties. But then let's move to the first casualty of the Civil War, and it actually happened in Maryland. Ooh. And it was a, it, it, the stuff that I saw considered it part of the Civil War, but what was happening is the troops, troops from Massachusetts were being bussed in or trained in to Washington, D.C., and it goes through Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And there's a train station there where they have to switch tracks well, a bunch of the Baltimore residents went and blocked the trains from switching tracks so that they couldn't get to Washington, D.C. So the troops that were coming down, uh, it, it reminds me of the Revolutionary War, the Boston Massacre, is they start chucking rocks and mm-hmm. stuff at the troops. The troops open fire, and ultimately, I think, uh, 12 people were killed, three of them soldiers, the rest were, you know, rioters, you know, civilians, however you want to call them. And then there were like 24 people injured. And in, you know, this, Maryland hadn't seceded. Maryland was a slave state, but the only way to get into Washington, D.C. is through Maryland or Virginia. That's, yeah, it's And And the, it's the North, the Union, cannot lose the ability to go into Washington, D.C. Yeah. So after this riot, or whatever you want to call it, in Baltimore, the uh, Union essentially declares martial law, suspends habeas corpus, and just arrests the mayor, the police, everybody. The, The militia offers to come in and help put down the riot, and they're like, okay, you can, but you don't come within a mile of our fort, or we will fire on you. So people were getting... Uh, essentially that's so fascinating because i've never heard of this part and, and this is where i see the stuff sense. that i'm like you know habeas corpus is one of the rights that we say you know this is an inalienable you cannot take this away this is in our constitution and the president hadn't even suspended habeas and corpus at this point he's only been the president for a month and a half yeah And even when he did suspend habeas corpus, the Supreme Court said, you don't have the right to suspend habeas corpus. And he was like, eh, I'm doing it anyway. Do you not know our country is falling apart? (laughs) And so Maryland was potentially saying, hey, we're going to be neutral. And the union was like, no, you're not. You know, you're we're you don't have to fight necessarily, but you we are essentially controlling Maryland. So they got troops in there. Anybody who was pro. So. At one point, they arrested one-third of the state's assembly, sent them to Fort McHenry, where they're just under house arrest and can't do anything. Whoa. And, and it's that's the sort of stuff that I'm like, I'm not Whoa. sure that this is, you know, <laughs> we talk about the good guys and the well, bad they, guys, they and the good guys aren't how... really as good as you might but think. It's true. But honestly, it's one of those what-do-you-do situations. It, exactly. Like, what do you do? Because there were rioters, and you got, 
the white this war House going on the congressional meeting and and if you lose the ability to get to washington dc washington dc will fall yep so they're like we're just not going to lose that so they essentially just declare martial law and it's all under control of uh the us military so that was in you know early part of uh eight, that was april 1891 Yes, and in April, too, they burn the U.S. arsenal at Harper's Ferry so that, so that the South, the can't South have doesn't it. get it. And, so and instead the, of moving everything away so they can have it, they just burn it down. And there's all sorts of like it. small skirmishes that are going on mm-hmm. until... Including the first, in Texas. The first major one was Bull Run in, yes. in uh, July of 1861. And this is where, you know, large amount of troops come head to head and this is like 30 miles outside of washington dc and the you know confederates are there's a railroad junction there and the Mm -hmm. confederates are holding that and the union troops come in to attack them and the confederates essentially hold them off and force them back and the south wins again and the south wins there were first battle and then the first major battle the south yeah, and there, there were 60,000 troops that engaged. And I don't know, mm-hmm. the st- site that I'm seeing that on was this, it's called battlefields.org, yeah, and they have a lot of that's stats. That's where my stuff's from, too. <laughs> and what I suspect is that not everybody was involved in fighting, but um, there were tons of casualties, you know, thousands on both sides, So, but it, you know, 3,000 almost for the Union side and 2,000 for the Confederate side. And what's interesting, too, is that these are the, you know, part of the 75,000, you know, troops that Lincoln called up, and they're all newbies. Yeah. These are all, they called them, like, 90-day, you know, troops or whatever. They, because they, they were. Signing up this for this came... short little excursion, mm-hmm. and that's when the Union realized that's not going to cut it. And so then they start recruiting more and more troops. So at the beginning of the war... The, the size of the troops on both sides was relatively even, but the Union can keep getting more. They've got a huge population to pull from. The Confederate yep. has a much smaller, over the course of the year, pretty much every eligible Confederate man fought. Not true on the Union side. They no. had tons that were available that never fought. Yes. And in August, <laughs> there's this man named... Major General John C. Fremont, who issues an edict without any higher approval that he frees all of the Confederate slaves, all, all of the slaves of the Confederate sympathizers in Missouri. So he goes into Missouri, that's where he is, and he's like, you know what? They're all free. <laughs> and I imagine that caused quite a ruckus. Yeah, and, and if you look at the, the um, layout of the war, you kind of had multiple fronts you had the eastern front which was mostly fought in virginia but also yeah it almost never touched south carolina who was the one who kind of started this whole thing yeah they got virginia they got a as a shield bit. so they're yeah. pretty bold they're like the dog yapping <laughs> behind the fence that's right and uh but yeah virginia is where most of the fighting on the eastern front occurs mm-hmm. and there were some excursions that were led by robert e lee up north yeah you, they also have more of the eastern front and the Eastern Front would... Do you mean the Western? I do mean the Western. Mm-hmm. So the Western Front was more... 
Missouri. Missouri. And, and then it starts moving little down bit in Texas. to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. There was stuff in Texas. And I, they actually called that something else because they said also the stuff further, you know, uh, west of the Mississippi, they called something else. So Texas oh. led a group into New Mexico to try and take forts. And then there was um, the, the Union also started a naval blockade. And the, yes. the Union controlled all the sea. So they were able they, to. They controlled all the way through the south into the Gulf of Mexico, yep. and then they started going up the Mississippi River because their goal is if they can split the South into two pieces, yep. then that you will ruin their communication and supply lines. And and, and there was a major win. battle called Vicksburg, or and, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just a battle. It was a long, prolonged thing. Vicksburg is a city on the Mississippi that the South held, and they held that for a long time, but it fell, I think, in... Uh, 1862, but Vicksburg was key because that's where the the South was essentially getting that crossing, you know, of the Mississippi and able to use the Mississippi for a short period. And once that fell, they lost. Well, they also at this time had ironclads, which were these gigantic iron. They were ships. invented during the Civil yep. War, and it was the South who made the first one. Was it? The South, they took a... It was in Missouri. <laughs> it's true. I didn't think that. Yeah, so the South took a, a, an existing ship and essentially just turned it into an ironclad, and they started taking it out. And the North responded by making their own you mm-hmm. know, ironclad, and they had to do it fast. Yes. The North had just a couple of days, because this, this ironclad, nobody could stop it. This only four years long. Like... But they, I mean, literally days. Yeah. They, so they it did. It was this. days after they start, you know, first saw the ironclad that they pumped out their ironclad. And there so were I, several. There were many of these by the end of the war that had been made, and some, of course, didn't make it. And some were in the ocean. Some were up the river. Some were like they they were all over. Yeah. So if you ever hear the Monitor and the Merrimack, or the Monitor versus Virginia. The Merrimack was the ship that they turned into the ironclad, and the South called it the CSS Virginia. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it was all it was formed from a ship called the Merrimack. And so, if you ever hear Monitor versus Merrimack, those were the first ironclad battles, and they couldn't kill each other <laughs> because all their munitions just kept bouncing. They kept off. bouncing off because they were strong, but they weren't that strong, and so they would just hit the sides of these iron sides and go bonk. And the, I imagine the hearing was bad. The Virginia had like this ram that they had underneath. It was this big metal ram, and they would take ships down with it, but they couldn't catch the Merrimack. It was a smaller ship, and oh. they just couldn't catch it. And it could go to shallower waters, and, and so that kind of produced a stalemate. <laughs> so the South was trying to break out, and they almost did until the North responded with their own ironclad, and then it was just a stalemate again. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't, you know, the South couldn't break through, and... Uh, that was also, you know, that was another 1862, and so as we... In 1862, in February, the King of Siam offered war elephants to Lincoln to help with the war, and he said no thank you. Oh, man, mm-hmm. you should learn his I... you know, Carthaginian history, like, you want those war <laughs> That's elephants. That's right. I guarantee they would not know what to do with them for a moment. <laughs> It'd buy you a couple minutes. So it isn't even until February 22nd of 1862 that Jefferson Davis is inaugurated as the president of the Confederate States of America. 
He had been serving as the provisional president, but he wasn't actually put in and inaugurated until February 22nd of 1862. Yeah, and, you know, 1862, I think, has most of the biggest battles yes, in the Civil is, War. And, and everywhere, in New Mexico, and Missouri, and Virginia, and Ohio, and it's just all yeah. Tennessee, like Georgia, Louisiana, everywhere, everywhere is fighting. The so whole country there's is a second battle at Bull Run, and it has 125,000 troops engaged, and the South wins that. That's in August of 1862, and after they win that, they become kind of emboldened, and they decide to take the war into more northern territory. Yes. And the idea is to just, if we put the fighting up there, that'll make it so distasteful to them that they'll decide not to fight. Yes. So Robert E. Lee goes up into a place called Antietam in Maryland. Right, and he also kind of wants to head over to that nation capital as yeah, well. Yeah, so that's his intent, is mm-hmm. to get to Washington, D.C. Almost like capture the flag. And both of them play in that way, where they're like, once we can get to their capital, yeah. we win. And their capital, so the capital of the South is Richmond, Virginia. Yep. It's 70 miles away from Washington, D.C. So initially it was down somewhere in Alabama, and they moved it up because Richmond was one of their bigger you know cities mm-hmm. and was you know more suited to be a capital city but it just puts the fighting so close like they are 70 miles away from each other which isn't really that far and that's where the majority of the fighting takes place in in between those 70 miles but in this one i think robert e lee goes up north over washington dc planning to come around and yes. his intent is to go after Washington, D.C., but he runs up against 87,000 Union troops. Mm -hmm. And in the bloodiest day in American history, so it's not the bloodiest battle because a lot of these battles would be several days. This was a one-day battle that had like 28,000 casualties. And casualty doesn't mean death. It just means could be just an injury that you can no longer fight. Yeah. But there were 28,000 casualties, which is more than the U.S. had on D-Day, more than any other day ever in this bloody battle. But essentially, the South couldn't break through and had to retreat back to Virginia. Which is one of the first major northern winds that spurred a little bit of confidence. Yeah. And then they started getting some others. So then if you go to the Western Front, they start moving down and they start taking portions of Tennessee. And that's also happening in 1862. So on the um, Western Front, the Union starts having more victories. They're still losing pretty heavy on the Eastern Front. But on the Western Front, they start making progress. They take, you know, Vicksburg. They take parts of Tennessee. They they didn't have a lot of good leadership in their military. On either side, honestly. Because if you look on the north, they went through generals like crazy. crazy, Like Lincoln would just be like, you're not doing a good job, you're out. You're not doing a good job, you're out. You're not doing a good job. And they went through a ton. But in the south, they had Stonewall Jackson and they had Robert E. Lee. And those two alone did some pretty, like, Robert E. Lee is, I think, considered the, the, you know, best general of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Is he, I think, had the most victories with the least, you know, 
casualties. Resources. Oh, resources. So he doesn't have as big an army as what he's going up against, but he tends to win most of the time. Did and what's interesting, oh, maybe you were going to say no, this. No, you go ahead. He was supposed to be the commander of the, the North's army. So yeah. before Virginia seceded, after... Um, because he, Lincoln asked for seventy-five thousand troops. They liked him. Troops. He put they down that one rebellion. They asked him to be the commander <laughs> of the U.S. Army, and he was about to say yes when Virginia seceded. And he, in his letter, he's saying, "Look, I think they're wrong, but I got to go with my state. I cannot fight against Virginia. I just can't do it. I think Which secession is, funny, is wrong." Because then he and fought against the United States. Yeah. So he goes <laughs> and essentially becomes the general. Uh, for the the Confederate Army, mm-hmm. and he d- really, I think, does a very good job. He makes a huge mistake in Gettysburg, but other than that, like he does a really good job. Yes. Uh, and in the and North, you got Ulysses S. Grant, who oof. does a pretty good job. Yes. And he really helped out on that western side and. Mm-hmm. started that drive down into the south but that is also they because he did so well they brought him to, to the, the east yep. and had him because nobody else could do anything no they and losing. they have the capital there and and every now and then the south comes and wants to take the capital and so they have him come and he kind of shifts the entire war and with his technique but i do want to also bring up in september of 1862 president lincoln issues his preliminary emancipation proclamation and this is when he says hey you guys if you don't stop fighting we're going to free all of the slaves and and he it it was after that antietam battle that he actually yes says you know this is going out there because he was waiting for a victory like it's really hard to be losing and then say you know here's something that you want but when you win so after that win he issues the emancipation proclamation and he says any of you rebellious states so this doesn't count the four border states who didn't secede but any of the rebellious states all your slaves are no longer they're all free they haven't freed them at september in September, yes, he gives the preliminary the one. But he says, you have until the end of the year and the beginning of the new Starting year. Starting at the January mm-hmm. 1st. And one of the things that this does is France and England were both ready to start yes. helping out the South. He is, switched it from preserving the Union to being about slavery. And so then they have a hard time of saying, oh, we yeah, want to fight for the, the slaves, slaves, you know, guys. <laughs> So they, they back off. Because before to them, it was like they wanted their cotton, and they didn't think it was fair that they're not getting their cotton. Yeah, they'll go fight for some cotton. I also suspect that there is a bit of, like, play of, okay, this will weaken the country. You know, you turn yes. it into two countries, mm-hmm. that's better for us. But, yeah, they really wanted to trade with the South. still not that many years from when, like, England lost the colonies. Yeah, so and then there was the War of 1812 against yes. England. Mm-hmm. But... But this is what made Europe look the other direction. Yep. So when this they're backed like, All right, off. We've already gotten rid of slavery. We can't say we're fighting for and it. And the South was counting on getting help. They thought that, you know, these other countries would come in 
to help them, you mm-hmm. know, even just economically, just to trade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And this is why people say, no, this was a state's rights issue, not a slavery issue, because Lincoln was going to preserve the Union. He wasn't, you know, terribly worried about the slavery issue, but that is what was breaking apart the Union. So then he hit that final point where he's like, no, we're making this about slavery. And that's why it seems a little disingenuous to some people, even though he was anti-slavery. He was anti-slavery, but like you said, when he was inaugurated, he said, Mm -hmm. I'm not here to take away your Your rights. And he even just said, I don't even think I have the legal right to do that. And I don't know how genuine he's really being if this is just political maneuvering. Well, it might have been because they'd already been talking about seceding. So he might have been just like, hey, calm down. A little yeah. bit of placating. And, and, and then so I, like, I really don't know how turns. honest he is with some of that stuff. I know, but he is honest Abe, so I know. this is very confusing. And it makes me like, <laughs> was that a sarcastic thing? And the sarcasm just doesn't trans- That's right, because we all but, like him because he preserved the union. But and, he specifically had also said, like, you know, my intent is to preserve the union. Yep. Whether or not slavery, if I, you know, have to get rid of slavery, that's fine. If I have to keep slavery, that's fine. If I have From to do whatever, beginning. everything is about preserving the union. And that's that's what I think throws me the most or was the biggest surprise to me when I was going through this is to realize election and then, you know, just a few days after South that, Carolina's like it nope, really was that election gone. to say, yeah. all right, we're out, you know. And and how quickly he had to turn around and be like i am in charge like i imagine that it takes a while to do that but he's like nope i'm in charge i've lost so many of my um elections that i feel so confident i'm going to keep this country together so uh, the war continues we kind of you know talked about some of the major battles and the battles still happened in the in the winter time obviously not as many but there were still plenty that happened and that was really tricky for both sides when it came to resources because it's cold and it's you know yeah, they're you not gotta remember, like, like it's a different time yeah. they don't have you they're know not getting refrigerators their, and their Kmart's from and, you south know, america <laughs> to feed everybody people are are getting a lot of illness people are getting more people died from disease and illness mm-hmm. than from, from battle. From battle. And By a significant amount. Yeah, I think it was uh, for every three that died of in battle, five died of disease or it starvation. Was, it was a lot. And, and especially those southern troops, there are a lot of stories about how their supply routes would get cut off and they, or they would be hunkered down somewhere and, and they're starving to death. And I just... Yeah, and part of that is actually why they went up into Gettysburg, which is in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. is they wanted to go get some of that, you know, Pennsylvania farmland supplies. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, in Gettysburg, one of the things I read said they went, they wanted to go into the city to get shoes. Ah. But they, it was again, Robert E. Lee wants to take the fight up north and make it more, you know, let's make it painful up there and then maybe they'll, you know, have a truce. So he brings his troops up to, you know, Gettysburg, and he takes 70,000 troops up there. Mm-hmm. And the Union responds with, like, 90, you know, thousand, and they battle it out at Gettysburg in, a, you know, what was the bloodiest battle in American history over the course of three days. These, you know, 165,000 troops are fighting 
And on the third day, this is where people were saying Robert E. Lee made his biggest mistake is he wants to get in there so bad he has something. He just says, we're just going to charge their defenses. And mm-hmm. he goes, has oh. pickets charge. Yeah. And 60% of the people they just die. Like, like fodder. Like they're yep. just running into the bullets. And this had happened the other direction, I think at Bull Run. Maybe it wasn't Bull Run. Maybe it was the second battle of Bull Run where whoever was in charge had the Union soldiers just running into the fire of the Confederate soldiers. And now, and I just want to rewind too because we're at Gettysburg, but before this, on the 1st, don't forget that the president has issued the Emancipation Proclamation. So everyone is getting additionally more desperate. And then some fascinatingly... On July 4th, which is a lovely day to have this happen, the Confederates surrender um, after the Battle of Gettysburg. They surrender in Vicksburg, Mississippi as well. So they're starting to The, the tide lose. is turning. The tide is, is turning. And on the birthday of the, the Union, and it's starting to, to give a lot more um, motivation to the north yeah and and it the the north continues to start winning and to move further into south and the south is really thinking if we can hold out till the next presidential election then maybe they'll vote somebody else in so so they almost are like not engaging as much they're almost like in hiding in some ways where they do like a skirmish here and and an engagement there, but not like the battles. And they that we really, are, they're just completely on the defensive now. Mm-hmm. Is is they're just trying to wait it out and hope that somebody else gets in and sees how distasteful war is and stops it. So they, you know, they're yep. hunkering down and hoping, and they're just hoping that if there's not enough, you know, northern victories, that Lincoln will lose. Mm-hmm. And but what what ends up happening lose. is they. When, when Atlanta falls, which happens just, you know, before before the election, mm-hmm. then, the, like, people kind of know that was a big win for the North and essentially kind of sealed the deal of, yeah, Lincoln is going to be reelected. So mm-hmm. one but, of the other things that happens then is, is in 1864, you have, like, Sherman's march to the sea. So that's when he kind of takes Atlanta and then to start burning everything in his path as he heads to the sea. And he does this because he wants to ruin things instead of kill people, which is... And and here's his quote is, you know, war is cruelty. There's no use trying to reform it. The crueler it is, the sooner it will be over. Yes, I think they're both burning out. He really goes in and just kind of demolishes... He, he has kind of standing orders to his people. You can take anything you want, and if anybody tries to stop you, then you can, like, you know, attack them, burn their house down, whatever. But you can pillage, you can do whatever, and unless somebody tries to stop you, which people would, and if they do, you can burn, you know, their house down. But the other thing is he also, he starts taking, you know, people's houses to, to house his troops. And I think, okay, that's another, you know, Constitution specifically says. Yeah. And 
the Constitution apparently, you know, you follow it when you want, not when... Does it apply if it's a completely different country in the citizens' mind? <laughs> <laughs> Does their Constitution say that they... Say that you can And then you are kind of invading. So, I don't know. It is kind of interesting because I do know there are other laws that they say, hey, in times of war, you get to racially profile people. But in other times, you don't get to do that. And so I'm like, is there is there some sort of clause here where they're like, you have to quarter troops if or if we're in war, and you don't have to if it's and just I kind of wonder, but in my head militia. I always think it goes back to I, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase, but you're not measured, you know, how you behave when things are good. Yes. You're measured how you behave when things are are bad, and when things are bad, like it, all these rules that we say are so important. We're kind of like, yeah, well, they're they're important when things are good. Yeah. And I, and that always bothers me. Like, I have a really hard time with some of that. Well, it is kind of interesting, and this is why ethical dilemmas are ethical dilemmas, is because there seems like there is a, a, a common way to be and an, an expectation and a rule following. And then you have that situation with the capital, and it is like, oh, what do I do? Like, oh, we've hit this weird little kink in the plan where where it all works until it doesn't work. And then what do we do? Because, I mean, like you said, Marilyn is like, oh, we'll just stay neutral. But you can't you can't guarantee that they will stay neutral because they share more in common with their and, southern. And a lot of people from Maryland went down to fight with yeah. the South. Like, they left Maryland to go join the armies in the South. But Maryland as a state couldn't do mm-hmm. that. Because essentially they would just be demolished. And if you know where D.C. is, it's in Maryland. Yeah, in Maryland. It touches and Virginia, Virginia. And, and, it's and literally in Maryland. surrounded. Like uh-huh. there's no and way to get to the capital. It's only so big. <laughs> so it is like, oh, like, yep. what would I do? I have to be honest. It would be very hard for me as a very brand new president. To be like, martial law. Like, oh, I, yeah, don't, I don't think sure. I could do it. <laughs> and there's so much, like, ethically, I, you know, like, one of the things I was thinking with, like, uh, the march to the sea where Sherman's just, yeah. like, burned, is I think, okay, look at the current situation in Ukraine, and Russia will go bomb these cities, and we're like, oh, my gosh, that is so terrible. You're just, you know, Mariupol, you just blew it to the ground. But mm-hmm. when it happens, you know, here, we're kind of like, yeah, good for you. Good for you, Sherman. You know, way, way to, to go. way to be strong. Way to help end the war. You know, <laughs> and those sort of things, I have yeah. a hard time reconciling, because even just the whole concept of secession, because mm-hmm. these states say, "Yeah, we're we're seceding," and people are like, "You can't secede." Like, uh, and in my head, I just think, how odd is it that somebody can say? I would like to govern myself, and somebody else goes, oh, I'll kill you before I let you govern yourself. (laughs) Well, it was like, that's what was the interesting thing about uh, John, was it John Brown, who who was the anti-slave murderer? Yeah. And it's like, I won't let you have control of someone, I'll kill you. Exactly, like a a moral thing. Slavery is so immoral, and if you don't (laughs) believe me, I'm I'm going to murder you. you. And, and I it, think, like some of those things are huh. so hard to reconcile. But also, how do you hit the point? Because, you know, I do think right now we have cared so much about everyone's feelings that we also don't function well. So when do you hit the point where you're like, I do care about everyone's feelings, but 
years have gone too far. It's way insane and you need to stop. Like, <laughs> everything's so upside down world these days. Yeah, and, and I totally, and the thing about the Civil War is like, to me, if you make it about slavery, I can stomach it. But if you make it about states' rights, I just think, oh, this is this is crazy that you would not let, a, you know, in a democratic society where you would say, yeah, you get to choose, you get to self-govern unless you say you don't want to be part of my team and then I'll, you know, then I'll kill you. And what I think one of the biggest interesting parts of the Civil War is, because America is not even 100 at this point, and... Um, you have, everyone was original, everyone was separate, and then you have this union bring everybody together. And I kind of feel like this is the point where they're like, no, we're a country. Kind of like how Brexit happened in England, leaves the European Union, and they're like, oh, we hate you, that's so annoying. If they'd have been like, absolutely, you're not, we're a country. Like, because I think up until this point, people in different states were fairly autonomous. And now they're saying, no, this federal umbrella, it's it's ironclad and you need to Well, you, you got to remember when the Constitution happened, states did not really want It was so hard to convince the states yes. to come together to actually have this, you know, Constitution. And you're not even 100 years in. And, and th- then part of the deal was, okay, but states you know, get to mm-hmm. make their own, and then somebody comes along and says, yeah, what you agreed to then, we're, we're changing that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're changing the rules, and now the, you know, the federal government will decide and not the, you know, state government. It's kind of fascinating to think that this country is only like 250-some-odd or whatever years old. And it, and it really and is, like, and to whoa. think how, you know, <laughs> soon, you know, like how recent some of this stuff really is. Yeah. Because... A lot of the founding fathers, there's plenty that are are still influential, not necessarily the founding fathers, but uh, when I say that, I mean the first people who were in charge of the country yeah. are still alive. Like, you've got several presidents that, that are still alive at this point that were one of the first four, six, not four, six to ten presidents you know, and you just think, you think of them as living in a different time, but no, they're still there. Well, it was interesting when I was looking into this, uh, the Missouri Compromise, I found that like Thomas Jefferson had had a reply to the Missouri Compromise, and he kind of was saying that, you know, slavery is like, we got the wolf by the ear, is, you know, we can't let it go, we can't, you know, it, it, we don't know what to do with it. This is Jefferson? This is Thomas Jefferson. I've been to his house, and he had tons of slaves. Oh, he had he had the most of, from but, what I know, of any founding father. Yeah. But in theory, like, I think he was the one who, in 1807, I think he was president and said no more, you know, importing slaves. He also said several things I know he had relations of, with a lot of his. You know, we're trying to wean it out, you know, in the future. Yeah. But he was really one of those ones. But I can't tell, is this just what you say? Yeah. Just to, you know, so that people will think you're a good person and, and you don't believe any of it? It'd be so interesting to go back and ask. It would be interesting. <laughs> One of the things that he said with the Missouri Compromise uh, was, oh, the, you know, the, the North is just using this slavery thing as an excuse to take federal power. And and in my head, I think, ooh, a fellow tinfoil hatter. You know, like, <laughs> That's true, because there were probably a lot of, a lot of, 
thoughts about it, but not as much communication about those thoughts, especially saved communication. This is an interesting point of the war because, in fact, Lincoln wins again, and the South finds this discouraging. And we are fast-forwarding here to 1865. You have a lot of... um, we have more battles, North Carolina, um, in Virginia, in Alabama. But but at this point, the war really is kind of it's kind of lopsided, petering out because it, the South doesn't have more troops to fill in. They've, they've used already up all everybody. of their people. They even the North has said, tons. "Hey, you know, you you former black slaves, would you like to come fight for us now?" Mm-hmm. Which I can't that? imagine. They they conscripted like five thousand of the slaves in um like 62 <laughs> i was like how do you do that like how do you be like hey hey why i think a lot of me? it is the same way you get them to be slaves it's like <laughs> you can come here uh or i will punch you in the That's face right. till you come here <laughs> but this is when april is a big deal april 1865 is a gigantic month for the united states because here is where you have um the Battle of Appaton- Appomattox. Appomattox, thanks, station. And this is where Lee surrenders to Grant, and Lee's done. And he's like, we don't have troops, we don't have enough supplies, we don't have, supplies. We don't have anything, we surrender. And then a few days later, Mobile, Alabama surrenders. And then a few days later, other places do. And then... It is officially considered to be the end of the war when Lee surrenders at the courthouse. So the United States raises its flag over Fort Sumter in South Carolina, where this all kind of started, on the 14th of April. And to celebrate, Abraham Lincoln enjoys an evening at the theater with his wife. And this is where he is shot while he is watching the show by an actor who is not in the show, John Wilkes Booth. And he shoots Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln is taken to the house across the street, which they have open as a museum and you can go to. And he dies the next day and Andrew Johnson is sworn in as President of the United States. And there's still skirmishes that are happening even all the way through May. And the last engagement of the Civil War is considered a skirmish at Palmetto Ranch in Texas. But when you look at the National Parks Association or whatever it is website for Texas and the Civil War, they don't have it on there. So, oh, really? So everyone else does. But for some reason, they don't classify it as still being under there. Um, but... President Jefferson Davis is captured by the U.S. troops in Irwinville, Georgia. And guess what they do to him? Put him in jail? They don't do anything to him. Because they figure if they are going to make a lot of... Well, he was put in jail for a while, but he doesn't have like some serious um, stuff that happens to him like you would assume. Like well. if you were Hitler, you're getting... Kerplopperd, if you're like, but, but you got to understand, they're trying the, to have the South 
be okay. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they have, and most they don't of want the to people, inflame anything worse than it already is. Because and, so many people in the mm-hmm. South, like, people wanted to keep fighting. Like, Robert E. Lee's troops, when he was surrendered, they're like, all right, let's disband and we'll do guerrilla warfare, you know, yeah. against these guys. Till they, and Robert E. Lee is like, no. No. You know, number one, I'm too old. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, th- that's not honorable. That's not whatever. It's, and he just ends up, you know, surrendering, officially saying, no more fighting. No more fighting. And they kind of negotiate and say, you know, let our people go home and become, you know, farmers and whatever again. And that's what President Andrew Jackson does. Is on May 29th of 1865, he proclaims amnesty for most of the people yep. who were Confederates. And so some people still had trials. Um, there were some definite war criminals that did, like, some bad stuff. I was going to say, like, trouble. for sure there's people, mm-hmm. and there were kind of some massacres. There were a few times that people surrendered and and just got shot. You know, like, yes. they, they wouldn't accept the surrender. And, and I don't know if that's even considered, like, a war crime. To me, it's pretty heinous, but... I don't know what the official Geneva Convention ruling <laughs> on that is. I don't know that there were terribly many either. Yeah, I, I don't do think there know. were that many. I actually read through this whole thing on surrendering on one of the first ones where Ulysses S. Grant uh, accepted a surrender. And the, he, he said, you know, it's unconditional surrender or nothing. But then when you look at what the terms of surrender were, uh, he was they? actually pretty good. There were conditions? At, at the beginning, <laughs> You know, he okay, we'll give you food, because this was in, like, 1862, and these people are saying, we haven't eaten in two days. Yeah. And he's like, well, I don't have the people to help. And they're like, well, we got the people. We just need the food. Okay, I'll give you the food. Give me your guns. I'll give you the and, food. And they, you know, okay, I'll let you keep your, you know, clothes and your, you know, blankets and your whatever. Just give me your gun. But it, it was actually surprisingly... Civil? Civil. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, some of it kind of changed because in the beginning they're like, you know, we want, let our soldiers go out and bury our dead. Okay. Well, a lot of those people would just leave and then go fight, you know, go join other regiments. So some of that stuff started changing where they're like, yeah, we're not letting you go bury your dead because, you know, that's not what you're doing. But it was surprisingly civil. And even, I want to find this quote because, uh, Well, while you're finding it, then, I will talk about how in December 1865, Georgia becomes the 27th state to ratify the new 13th Amendment that abolishes slavery in the United States. And on December 18th, the Secretary of State Seward, I mean, William Seward, announced to the world that the 13th Amendment had been ratified. There's some strange history to that, too, but... uh... Is there? So essentially, it was part of Reconstruction. Yes. And it was, all right, you guys can choose, you know, your own government <laughs> as long as it's who we think is okay. Oh, no. And so it wasn't, this they didn't really get to choose. It very Iron Curtain. <laughs> it, it really was. But what do you do? That exactly. Is like, if you put the same people back in, then you have the same what are you going to do? So you basically, mm, and they, yet I still can't they had troops the down there curtain. for like 10 years where wow. they kept troops down there and. And that initial thing of you have to put somebody in who will ratify these or you don't wow. get to come back. So it was 
that was a little bit, I mean, I don't know that you could do it any different without just admitting right. that you're going to be fighting again. Mm-hmm. But it was not, you know, the, the free democracy that uh, we, oh, we support. Fascinating. But here's that quote from uh, Ulysses Grant when he was accepting the surrender. So he he was called like unconditional surrender Grant, you know, because yes. he, he said, you know, the only surrender I will accept is unconditional surrender. But what, they used to have these surrender ceremonies, and they would, you know, I'm taking your sword, and they would take the general's sword, and they would march the surrendered people in front of their troop. And, and he's like, you know, when somebody asked him, hey, when's the surrender ceremony? He's like, there will be nothing of the kind. The surrender is now a fact. We have the fort, the men, the guns. Why should we go through vain forms and mortify and injure the spirit of brave men who, after all, are our own countrymen? And, and and I do think he was the generals he was going up against. He went to West Point with you oh, know the people no. he's fighting with. He had fought with before, and he you know come Comrades. up through ranks with them. Wow! But there, I think there really was some civility that still existed. It was just you know slavery is a point that we will not you know we're we're gonna fight until this is resolved essentially this is such a big topic and i don't even think we got to cover a lot of the things that no. we wanted to cover but but it's still i think a, a, you know always good to find your pieces of information always good to learn more but one more fascinating fact before we finish up is i just feel like we have to talk about that first battle of bull run and how people came and picnicked and watched because they thought it would be something totally different. And just what a different world it would be. Because you know they have guns. What do you think this is going to be? Like, if it was a wrestling match, I'd be like, oh, sure. I can understand that you would think, oh, this is fascinating. But it horrified all of the watchers who oh, were I don't watching know how and having could, picnics. Because these were so bloody. Well, and they're, your, they're people. You yeah. are watching people. Quit being people anymore. And I don't know how you can enjoy a picnic lunch and do that. That's terrifying and more gross than the actual war (laughs) that you would find entertainment in that. But they did not. They thought it was horrible and they were surprised at how horrible it was. And they didn't do that anymore. I'm not coming to the second show. That's right. This was zero stars. (laughs) Two thumbs down. (laughs) That's right. I am not recommending this to any of my friends. Because it was just so ugly. and and But I do think that's a fascinating part. And also the Gettysburg Address, which we did not discuss, happened after Gettysburg. And it had taken so long for everyone to clean up this battlefield that it, they were then having, like, uh, they were um, adding a cemetery. It just kind of, they turned it into a cemetery because because it had been such a terrible battle and they had spent so long trying to clean up after this battle because I don't think you think about that either. Is oh, just yeah. the amount of, that's left behind, and so that's when they came in, and Abraham Lincoln gave his. Oh, I wish I could remember Gettysburg what the number address. was. Somebody was talking about some of the, like if they they took a you know square plot of land and basically talked about how many dead bodies yeah. were in this small section of land, and and it was it's just amazing to think about well and another interesting thing is way more union soldiers died 
Oh, yeah. Oh, so many more. Like the death rate to be a Union soldier was so much higher than the death rate of a Confederate soldier. And the Union had more money and more people. And the, the South really had a better tactic and a better fighting style. And that is what kept them as much for as high as for so long. So here's another quote from William Sherman, and he says, uh, The North can make a steam engine, locomotive, railway car. Hardly a yard of cloth or a pair of shoes can you make. You are rushing into war with one of the most powerful, ingeniously mechanical and determined people on earth right at your doors. You are bound to fail. Only in spirit and determination are you prepared for war. In all else, you are totally unprepared with a bad cause on top of and I and, and that kind of sums it up is this the South really doesn't stand a chance against the more industrious populated mm-hmm. north, but they had the spirit and it took them a lot farther than it probably should have, yeah, when you look at all of the facts and the numbers, it is kind of amazing that they were winning for so long. But, and they, I honestly think that they did not think they were going to have to fight. Yes, they, they thought they, they won. After they thought that they first... weren't going to have to fight, even after Fort Sumter. Mm-hmm. I don't think they thought they were they were going to have to fight. I don't think it was until. But Georgia did take those million dollars and arm themselves, so I think they knew it was a possibility. I think they knew it was a possibility. I don't think they knew what that but meant. But one of the first things they did, you know, when they formed their new government, I can't remember what they called it. It was something for peace, as they. They formed a, a commission, you know, of peace. You know, like, let's see if we can have peace with the North, because I think they knew that they would lose. But I just want, I got one last quote, and then I'm done. And okay. this one was from Abraham Lincoln, and I love this, you know, quote. And he just says, you know, whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. <laughs> and I think, like, that sums up my feelings about slavery is... The only people who could possibly be for it are the one, you know, who haven't the ones who haven't experienced it. Oh, well, thank you guys. If you held out to the end here, there's a lot of fascinating information in all of history, including the Civil War. Yeah, thanks everyone. See ya. Bye.